Control C. Control V. <laughs> And I'm Carrie. Welcome to episode one of Dying for Midnight, aka Whiskey Chess Rage. Thank you to Carl Casey at White Bat Audio for this month's intro music called The Witch. We're quirky, we're quippy, and we're awkward. Indeed, we are. Whoever you are, whatever your background, we're all here at Dying for Midnight because of our love to discuss all things horror. Carrie and I hope this episode brings you some comfort and joy. For fully uncut extended episodes, check us out on Apple Podcasts and then Patreon for additional community benefits. Whether you're at home or in your car, join us as we begin our very first segment ever, a segment we like to call Comfy Horror Movie Review. So what the hell does Comfy Horror Movie Review mean? Um, Carrie and I were thinking about this. And really what it means is it's asking yourself, um, you know, what is your routine when watching horror movies? Do you plan it out in advance? Do you do it impulsively, um, just on the fly? How many times have you sat there, you said, I wanted to watch something, and then you decide to change your mind five million times? What are the ones that are even you just love having because they're on in the background? But look, episode one, Carrie, and I'm already getting off track. I know. We'll try to stay on track. I promise. (laughs) Don't promise them that. Don't promise them that. So really what this is supposed to circle back to is that we've got a routine. I always say this is like watching horror fans in their natural habitat like nesting. You know, what are you wearing when you're watching horror? As silly as a question of that as that is, what the hell? What am I wearing? What the, what's that have to do with anything? You know, what are you snacking on? What are you sitting on? What about besides the movie itself brings you comfort? We, we all have our routines. Like I'm thinking, who goes on the run to your favorite, I don't know, dollar store or gas station? Um, what do you do? So Carrie, I'm going to put it on you right out of the gate. What are you doing right now for this comfy horror review? What are you wearing? What are you sitting on? What are you dressed in? And talk about, you know, your routines for horror movies. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm wearing my favorite T-shirt based off my favorite horror movie, The Thing. How appropriate. Did you plan that out? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, and I, I love to wear flannels. I'm always cold. If it's not a flannel, it's a sweatshirt. And, of course, sweatpants. And you know what's great about flannels is that, um, well, first of all, there's like a 20-year history with Carrie and I where she makes fun of me because I'm like Inspector Gadget if you are a superhero. Not, not in the muscles sense, but if you open up my closet, there's nothing but button-up shirts. Some of them are more work appropriate. Most of them are flannels. Um, and I'm sitting here 
doing this thing. It's unbuttoned. Uh, I've got jeans on, uh, but you know what I can do is if somebody's coming over and I don't want to look like a complete slob, hurry up and just button it up. I mean, it, it's easy. Now, if we're it's the end of the night and whether we're watching something just you and I when the kids go to bed <coughs> or something with the kids, if we deem it that they're ready for it, um, I, I've got to go with these some kind of weird polyester blend. I, I'm getting into the nitty gritty. You are. Uh, these uh, flannel pants, uh, pajama bottoms, and, and whatever my f- same 12 hoodies that I have in rotation constantly. I even get cuddly underneath the blanket. But I've got to have like the soft drink or alcohol. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, look, this is why we're doing this. I can go on and on and on. We have these conversations anyways. We do. And now you, listener, um, have the pleasure of listening to us ramble on and on. So really, you know, what I'd want the audience to do is just reach out to us you know, marinate on that good feeling that you have whenever you sit down to watch a horror movie. If if we can become part of that routine, I mean, we'll we'll be thankful. But um, and and email us. Uh, we are at dfmmailwolf at gmail, and just let us know what's part of your ritual. What do you like to eat? I mean, I've talked with people online. Um, heck, just about they'll make posts like on the Joe Bob group about something that they cooked that weekend, some big, long, slow-cooked barbecue. You know, a a lot of people will have Super Bowl parties. We have the Super Bowl coming up. I mean, horror fans, they'll plan out their whole entire weekend's worth of viewing, and they've got food to match it. Uh, People are sharing recipes out there. So anything that brings you comfort, um, let us know what that is in relation to your horror movie uh, viewing pleasures. And um, share it with us. You know, we, we want to know. And, you know, the horror is the one thing that kind of unites all of us, no matter where you're at, where you are. This is this is the thing that brings us all comfort. This is what we love talking about. Um, and, and Carrie and I, we're just trying to reach out and connect with other horror fans. And we love being creative. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, we we haven't had too much of the opportunity to do. So this is this is kind of us rambling. So so stick with us here. Uh, I, I promise we're going to get to the movie now. Um, so let's talk about The Thing, 1982, directed by John Carpenter. Um, Carrie, what's the first thing when you think of John Carpenter? Well, I love John Carpenter. I love pretty much all of his movies. So... But this one, for me, the thing, I love the atmosphere that it brings. I love that it's set. I love that it's set in this great white unknown with no escape right away. The atmosphere alone is scary. Trying to survive where the temperatures are so cold in itself is a scary thing, let alone adding an other element of people. Can you trust people? I don't know. Can you trust people in that situation? So I read an article recently about this was, they were interviewing um, Kurt Russell and he was talking about, I think it was for during filming of the hateful eight. And he had, they were kind of reminiscing about his time on the thing 
there's there's lots of quotes out there about his feeling about working with Carpenter, and, and of course everybody's dying for like, oh, will they, you know, ever make another one again? It's been you know ages. There's been Carpenter has gone on to get involved in Halloween again. You know, Russell seems like you know every five to ten years he comes back with something that is very Carpenter esque. Um, but they were interviewing him about for April hate, hate, hateful hate, hateful eight. There we go. He was saying that, yeah, while it's like a, an alien horror Arctic movie, it's really about paranoia. So I think you bring up the main theme of this entire movie. It's really paranoia. And, and actually, The Hateful Eight is the same type of movie with all those people you know, stuck inside together um, also during the winter. So we're going to move on and we're going to talk about the cast um, and the crew a little bit, a little bit of background info on the thing for those of you that, my goodness, if you haven't seen this, why is the only question I have for you. No judgment. Watch it. Watch it. Do it. So the production company, Termin Foster Company, we all know, we, we remember the Universal Pictures logo. That's who distributed it. We all know, 1982, 109 minutes. It's a nice, solid runtime. Let's touch on the cast really briefly, and we're going to come back to the cast quite a bit. You've got R.J. McCready, Kurt Russell. He's the main guy. Everybody wants to talk about Kurt Russell in a Kurt Russell movie. We're not going to do that here at Dying for Midnight. We're going to focus more on like your favorite uh, kind of supporting character. It could be, even be somebody that's got a one line or two lines. The problem, or I guess the good problem we have is that this is such an amazing ensemble cast in this movie. God, right after Kurt Russell, you could pick maybe two or three other actors the name right after him, but really you got to go with Keith David as Childs. There's probably a special place in hell for me Whenever I think of Wilford Brimley in this movie and I see him, I've always I've always got to think of certain commercials that he's involved in. I'm not going to go there. I sort of did, but I'm not going to. As Dr. Blair, T.K. Carter as Knowles. Carrie, I know one of your favorite moments involves Knowles. You know, we've got David Clennon, Richard Masur, and I'm sorry if I'm butchering people's names, as Palmer and Clark. Donald Moffat, who plays Gary. Larry Franco, he's one of the Norwegian guys. Gosh, I... I I can't even believe I haven't brought up Thomas Waits, who plays Windows. Charles Hallahan, he might get the nod for the best death in just about any John Carpenter movie. I mean, when you think about kills in John Carpenter movies, he's got to be. That That has got to be top three deaths. It's e- iconic. Easily. It's iconic, not only in Carpenter movies, not only in this movie, but probably horror for all time. And we'll touch a little bit more on that later. There's something about McCready just saying Joe Polis's character's name, Fuchs. Anytime he says Fuchs, there's something about the way he says it. I don't know why. George Benning's character, played by Peter Maloney. My one of my favorites, actually, I think I, I think I wrote this down as my favorite, is is Richard Dysart as Dr. Copper. That is a really interesting backstory on that character. Touching on that later. We are going to move on to the poster artwork, the tagline. I'm gonna pull it up while we're sitting here, Carrie. I mean, we've got this one right here. I'm pulling up the ultimate an alien terror which is more of like a rectangular kind of left to right poster that's like looks like an alternate one the one that we're familiar with is the classic one you see the ultimate alien terror everywhere but you also have the one that says man is the warmest place to hide and really 
I remember as a kid seeing this poster, thinking like, wait a second, are they like somewhere like up near Santa? Why is there like a, a guy underwater? It looks like, you know, one of those diver suits just with the, the flare coming out of his face. And as I got older, I was able to pick out exactly what I was looking at a little bit better. I mean, if you go online, you've got some really great posters that are illustrations of just they're all the ensemble cast forming around McCready. You've got fan-made posters that focus more on the blood and they're red. I mean, heck, you and I even have a board game, the Thing board game that we haven't even touched yet. That's beautiful artwork. I mean, to bring this back around to the... The original point at hand. For those of you that don't know, this is actually something that I just learned with research, and I'm not going to pretend to be some kind of um, artist uh, or understand art in any format. I I'm actually really terrible uh, art history. Don't talk to me about it. Uh, but in researching Drew Struzan, nobody has as much cred as this guy. Iconic. I'm probably not going to even give this guy his proper due. Am I even correct by calling him a poster artist? Probably not. Sorry, Drew. If, uh, you know, I doubt you're listening. But if you are, I, I apologize. Raiders of the Lost Ark, Back to the Future, Star Wars, Harry Potter. There isn't, I mean, what else do I need to say? Two movies that stood out to me, his poster work. Obviously, in addition to the thing, was Mallrats, and Big Trouble in Little China. And oh, by the way, Rambo First Blood was another one. Carrie, do you have anything to add about the, the poster artwork tagline? No, it, it's just beautiful. And you can tell a lot of thought went into it. So now we're going to move on to another segment, which is the soundtrack. Uh, Aneo Morricone. You know, Carrie, over the past couple of years... You know, we're, we've become huge Waxwork record fans. Um, the soundtrack, you know, talk, talk about artwork. They do a great job on the artwork for all these movie soundtracks. The soundtrack is exactly what the movie is. I mean, it's isolating, haunting, unnerving. Uh, our album is, un, is open because I had to see what everything looked like. We haven't played it yet. Um, it's just beautiful. Uh, and no, we're not going to be selling it on eBay. We're, we're keeping that one, but it's almost so good looking. I don't want to touch it. Um, Morricone is a legend. You know, Tarantino has featured him in the, in the Hateful Eight, um, given Morricone's work in Westerns. The very first thing that I think of, you know, I, I actually knew of Morricone before I ever watched The Thing because of my grandfather. You know, he would watch Westerns and that's what got me onto Westerns. The good, the bad, and the ugly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and just to note, I mean, my dad loves Westerns, especially Eastwood movies. Uh, they've been on replay for my entire life growing up, so I can't escape Westerns. And Morricone, you know, music in my family with the good, the bad, the ugly, one of my dad's favorite movies. Thank you, Dad. But not knowing this, I married Case, who also loves Westerns. I can never escape Westerns. <laughs> oh, yeah, and seeing as how Clint Eastwood is my dad's favorite, you got to throw in Charles Bronson into the mix. Want to talk about man love? My husband bought my father a Charles Bronson Death Wish mug for Christmas and Gunsmoke Christmas mug. My dad, even the kids know. Oh, Papa loves to watch Gunsmoke. Yeah. So the love of Westerns and strong action 
lives on in our generations. Although our daughter seems to love these movies a little bit more than our son. Our son, he's all about sci-fi space. Anything with space. I love the haunting tone that this music brings. Just there's certain scenes that it just adds to it, increasing the paranoia. So I, I agree. I don't have much to add um, to that line of thinking. Really, it, it's got this blue light that just shines on the snow. <coughs> Pardon me. And it's just got that really just – it's so simple it works. And the music doesn't get in the way of the atmosphere and it just it drips paranoia. I, I think Kurt Russell described it perfectly. Um, and, and that's it really. I mean, again, and Neo Morricone, um, we're not giving him his due either. Just like we're not giving the poster, you know, artists their due. So again, apologies, but just know, uh, huge fans for like, you know, 30 plus years. The next segment um, is we want to talk about favorite character that is not the lead. Let's be honest. While this is a neat Carpenter casting ensemble, McCready, the legend, Kurt Russell, he's the main guy. You know, spoiler alerts. He and Childs last to the end. Richard Dysart as Dr. Copper. The actor chose (laughs) this quirky element. Um, I mean, it's just quirky as hell. I even read somewhere that the backstory was that this character was a Russian spy. I mean, was this character trying to Americanize himself to fit in? It made the character feel offbeat, you know, just like the rest of the cast. This carries over into other Carpenter works. The individuality of each character in his movies, they're in this awful situation. The characters stand out. It makes the Carpenter movies what they are. And I just want to know, what brought these characters to this location? What made them, were they assigned this location? That's something that is left unsaid that you kind of wish you had a little bit more information on. How did they all come to be? My favorite is the actor that played the cook, T.K. Carter, as Nalls. The scene of him roller skating down the halls in the kitchen listening to superstition. What a fantastic foreshadowing. I mean, it just sets tone for the rest of the movie. It's not like these were unlikable characters. <laughs> you mean like like a like an unlikable camp counselor almost, right? Right. You know, just trying to, you know, get some alcohol and drugs and you know extra, super annoying. And extramarital things as well. <laughs> yeah, we're not going there. These guys, I mean, they worked at this facility in the harshest climate. Again, why would they want to come to this climate? What made them? Or were they forced to? Yeah, and that's speaking to the individuality uh, of each of these characters. You know, it it makes you wonder, like you're saying, how do they end up at the research um, facility? Uh, And we were were talking about this. You know, this is actually something that the Thing prequel did. Yeah, and I thought that's that's one of the great things that the prequel did very well. It showed you how they all got to the research facility. Sometimes things are better left unexplained to kind of let your mind or the audience mind fill in the blanks. I, I can't say I hate the thing prequel. I, I actually think I enjoy it quite a bit. It, it's solid. The one knock uh, on it, I, I don't think you can say the characters are a knock. I think the only knock 
that I hear is really that they went with the CGI instead of the practical effects. So I still, I'm going to say the thing prequel has some pretty good characters. I mean, you know, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, I thought she mar- uh, married, when, when we know who she married, but she carried the film really well. So, um, so now we're going to move on. Do you, do you have anything else to say to this? No, that's it. Did we go to the theaters to see this or did we just, I don't remember. I actually think we stumbled on it. Like back in the, were we still doing Redbox? Maybe. Might have been one of those ones where we were like, went through the drive-through where the Redbox was at. And we said, wait a second, there's a, there's a thing. Like, no, don't, don't spend the buck fifty or two dollars, whatever it was at the time, <laughs> to get the, to get this. Like, let's go see if we can hop on the internet and see what this is about. And we're like, you know what? This trailer doesn't look half bad. Let's, it, it's worth the Redbox rental. I, I, I still feel that way to this day about it. I think it's solid. I, I there's some remakes that I don't ever care to go back to. Uh, This is not one of them. And to my earlier point, uh, when we're talking about comfy, comfy horror movie reviews, this is something that the thing prequel, I'm getting off track again, and I swear I won't again, but I probably am lying and I will. You can have the thing prequel on in the background. The thing is, though, about the thing prequel is that it makes you want to watch the 82 thing and that's the problem of a horror fan. You yeah. see something, you can't really stop. That you, You've got to f- do a hard stop because once you start on something, it's like, <clears throat> oh, yeah, let's do a whole alien or space horror night. I don't want to get my work done. I don't want to take care of the kids, <laughs> Not even though we're indoctrinating them to horror. Yeah. Um, let's just stop everything and like, okay, let's go to, I don't know, the Leviathan, which we I don't think you've watched – and, uh, you know, of course, alien, aliens, all that stuff. Uh, that, that's the problem. And now we're getting off even further off track away from the thing, but, but similar and related. <clears throat> we're going to talk about favorite death and effects. Carrie, I want you to lead while I drink my generic soda and try to clear out my voice. Okay. So my favorite death is Dr. Copper, where he gets his arms chomped off as he attempts to defibrillate. Charles Hallahan's character, Vance Norris. And then his head pops out and grows these spidery legs. <laughs> She's so animated right now, folks. <laughs> As you know, I talk with my hands, but you can't see that. It's just utter shock and disbelief that the rest of the crew just, it helps to nail the scene. I mean, you cannot not watch that scene. And just, and, and actually, we just watched the thing with our kids for the first time, which is one of the reasons why we chose this episode first. Um, we actually did not let them see that part of the movie. Yeah. And you know, for those that, that whatever, you know, that we're not sitting in judgment. We're, (laughs) we're trying to eliminate the sleepless nights, especially with our little guy, because it's almost certain when we decide to let him watch a horror movie on a Friday or Saturday night, he's going to lose sleep. But he's like us. He keeps coming back for more no matter what. Oh, and he loves the movie. Oh, they, they. We're raising them right. Um, so I'm going to touch on your death just a little bit more before I move on to mine. Every time I see the defibrillate, defibrillate, the defibrillator scene, <laughs> I feel, you know what, say people? No, no, I don't want to say it again. You, you, you said the death, <laughs> and I'm not going to make myself look any worser than I already do. So I, I can't help but think of like the scene in Return of the Jedi 
where Boba Fett goes down into the Sarlacc pit. It just seems like his his you know his chest, his cavity just opens up, and it's like a little mini baby Sarlacc. And I, I don't know why. I think about Return of the Jedi every time I think about that death. I know that's really stupid, but that's what I think of. It's like oh, a little baby Sarlacc moment. My favorite death moment and effects. Palmer's rec- <clears throat> excuse me. Palmer's replicant is sitting tied up, and eventually he jumps right down on Windows skull. At one point, connecting with his hands and doing some weird gross out, flip him in the air upside down as he devours his face. You know, whenever Windows finally is flailed to the ground, we see all the bloody goo all over what's you know left of the face, and and at that point, I actually get. That's the one moment where I could say if the thing ever makes me feel emotional for any of these characters, that's it. You know, it that's where it gets hard to watch. And that was another moment we didn't let the – or we tried to cover up most of that moment as well. He's not fully dead in that moment and you see the, the agony and pain. You know, we know because we watched it so many times, he's going to die. You know, they end his suffering at, at least somewhat. You know, I mean he gets – you know, you could see – listen – in no way, shape, or form can a flamethrower ever be a painless death. What he's in agony for, you know, 20 less minutes, but the last few seconds of his knife, he's, knife life, he's going to get torched. Really, all of them die terribly. There's no, there's no quick death in this, except for the gunshot death of the dog trainer. That's the only one. Everyone else, when they, I mean, that's the thing about the thing, deaths. I mean, they are getting devoured. I mean, it is it's, brutal. It's brutal. Carrie, anything else on the death and effects? No, I mean the special effects were amazing. Yeah, uh, Rob Button. Okay. Rob Button. Okay. Well, he did an amazing, amazing job. There's articles out there galore. Uh, you know, especially for those younger listeners um, who are growing up with CGI, there's been kind of a resurgence um, in using practical effects. And then I'd say, you know, I read from people in the industry, the best ones will use the practical effects, but then they'll only use the CGI to just barely touch it up or, or improve upon, but not replace the practical effects work that was done. Um, I feel super bad for the 2000. 11 special effects crew because they had some really cool looking stuff and it was just like glazed right over. Yeah, but Rob Botton, I mean, mayonnaise, strawberry, uh, KY jelly. I mean, when you look at the thing, I mean, it's, it's visceral. It's something that's, you feel like it's the goo and the blood and the guts. that's going to come right out at you. And they nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, what besides an American, you know, werewolf in London? That's got it. When you talk about practical effects, yeah, yeah, practical effects, it, it, it might be the best out of any horror movie. Reaction and rating. Let's move on to that. Um, that is our final part of the uh, comfy horror movie review segment. Here's how we're gonna do this from here on out. Being that this is our first episode, the thing we are gonna go with a flamethrower rating system now. All it is is I'm just replacing stars with flamethrowers, okay? Uh, Carrie really thought that this would be appropriate. We, we've got to keep something from our very first episode going throughout. We're going to go a little bit different, and we're going to allow half flamethrowers. So we're going to go five flamethrowers, 
to me, this means it's a perfect movie. Where, Carrie, where you and I stand, there's no such thing as a perfect movie. Uh, I mean, yeah, we've all got our favorites, and uh, you could argue that something's perfect, but some are close. Some are close. Five, that's like the white whale for us. I'm not sure, given our mindset, um, that we're ever going to get a five flamethrower movie. Um, Four flamethrowers, that's a must-see. Threes, flawed but fun. Highly rewatchable. Two flamethrowers. Okay, you know, we see why people enjoy this. It has a following, but it's not, as far as Carrie and I go, again, like it's our opinion, man. It's just not high on our rewatch list. Um, one, one flamethrower. It's just not our cup of tea. It still has some minor moments that we want to note that stand out in our mind that do help to make it memorable and, and worthy of doing a review. You know what? Certain horror hounds, you guys... We might come on here, um, you know, we're never going to bash somebody's work. That's just not our style. But we're we're rating it based on how we feel about it. Um, and we want to hear from you guys as we do more and more episodes. We might give a one or two flamethrower, you know, review. And you guys may say, uh-uh, wait a minute. That's high twos, low threes, or, or whatnot. So no, zero flamethrowers. That's rare air. I think that, that that movie would have to be so bad, but not, you know, Carrie, not in a so bad it's a good sort of way. No. Um, and if we ever get there and we think that low of something, I mean, I can't think of anything. I mean, you and I really wrapped our heads around zero. Yeah. And, and what that would mean. It, I, and <clears throat> we've talked about uh, with some of our friends even, maybe there's a podcast episode out there that we're going to do in the future about – you know, what's fa- too far in a horror movie? What mm-hmm. What is something that you've heard about and it's just a no-go for you? You know, that that could maybe be the zero. Yeah. <clears throat> and again, maybe there's no zero because we're just not willing to go there. You know, do any of you listeners, do you have a, a movie that's just a zero flamethrower or a zero stars where it's just you watch this and there's... It's just, I want to hear about that too. Carrie? We'll what? never not watch something, um, e- even if it's it's not to our liking. For me, I have this pet peeve. If I start watching something, I have to finish. There's a couple exceptions we talked about. I, I think Yeah. I, I think some things you need to not turn a blind eye to. Sometimes you need to see something that's hard to watch. And I think we can touch on that maybe, if not this season, maybe next season. You know, in terms of what I'm going to give the thing, this is a must-see. This is And this is a classic Carpenter that all horror fans, you, you talk to them, they come back to it. Is it perfect? It's it's really close. It's really close. Um, I don't have any knocks on it. The only thing that I have to add to it not being perfect, you know what? I'm not even going to go there because it would be a stretch for me to even have. I'm nitpicking at this point. So, Carrie, uh, four out of five flamethrowers for me. Uh, I went with 4.5. Okay. And how we're going to do that, gang, is, you know, Case's score, Carrie's score, and now that gives DFM Dying for Midnight an overall podcast score of 4.25 out of five flamethrowers, four and a quarter. The thing is must-see. Carrie touched on the kids watching it for the first time. I saw your favorite death, Carrie. That was my first exposure to this. Thinking back on it, I was in a radio shack probably around 1988 or 89. 
bored to tears while my dad was browsing, ultimately never buying anything unless they had deals on really crappy $5 bin compact discs. Uh, I'm talking like the elevator music versions or covers of his favorite music. I swear to you, I think he bought a cover of Kenny G at one point. So, yeah, $5 bin cover CD bands. Seeing the head pop off and turn into a spider, it, you know, it actually took me a while to discover what that movie was. And it wasn't until sometime in, like, junior high or high school I finally watched the whole thing. It took me that long, especially if you know my history with horror and how my grandfather helped me smuggle movies from the Eagle video. Don't ask me why. It took me that long, but I remember watching that at home finally, and the memory of being in that Radio Shack flooded back. I'm like, yes, Spiderhead dude. Now I know what what that was. Whenever I was in Radio I, Shack with my dad, I can't believe it took you that long to find the movie. <clears throat> I mean, for me, I, I saw this on HBO cable back in the day. And for those of you that are in the millennial crowd or older. You remember, HBO was probably around you know, 10 years or so when I saw this. So you, you knew when it was coming on and recorded it, or you had to wait to rent it, which that never happened with these kinds of movies in my family. We stuck more to general movies. Um, we had to actually vote to get a trans a choice of who got to pick that week. <laughs> yeah, for the, for the Zoomers out there, the Gen Zers, um, there was no having three or four TVs and that was back in my day. Yeah. I mean, I, I finally got, uh, when I got my black and white TV I, that had like three or four channels, I was so excited. I mean, that was amazing to me. I didn't have too many opportunities to sneak. So, but more sneaking, you know, w- regarding books on, later on in our second segment. You're just the sneaky snook. We're going to talk a lot about sneaking, I guess, <laughs> from here on out, which makes sense, which makes sense. So, The next segment, sequel preview, or why we want to see another entry in parentheses, sequel, prequel, requel, or not. I never thought we'd be in a day where requel was a term. I know. Okay. So let's start off with that. We are aware, the both of us, of the 1950s original, but we have not seen it to date. Carrie, you reminded me of the 50s version when we were doing this kind of little episode guide being played on the TV in Carpenter's Halloween. Yes, it was. Um, We adore Carpenter's 1982 The Thing, as a lot of people do. I said earlier, touching on the 2011 prequel, um, we think it's solid, both of us. Um, We do find ourselves watching that before or after, watching the 82 Carpenter classic. As far as a sequel goes, you have to look for them. Uh, But there is some comic content out there. Now, whether it is considered canon, that's up for debate. You know, everybody's got their head canon. You know, it does help to give a scenario to the question that the audience is left with at the end of this movie. Just to touch on that, I mean... I mean, what do you think happened? I, I mean, frankly... I, I think that they both did not make it, especially since they set the camp ablaze with no shelter. I mean, they had to freeze to death. My only thought is that they froze to death and that either the thing froze too in some other being 
only to be discovered. In some other being? You mean in another, in a human? Well, in another okay. human. Like, or a wait hand. a second, was this, was this like a buffet? Was there some other creatures from other planets besides the thing? It was like, hey, there's, this great, there's this great hangout. They've got great <laughs> frozen human ice cream. Let's go. You never know. Let's meet. Um, but it could be even in one of the other dogs that I escaped. And yes, I did watch this and I noticed two of the dogs escaped, which... I was so happy. And what? I'm, yes, two of the dogs escaped. Okay. So now they're I'm gonna still have to running go out there. Check this out. And our daughter, who loves <coughs> animals, she was thrilled <laughs> that some of the dogs made it out alive that we know of. I mean, F the humans, but thank goodness for the dogs. That's always the case. Yeah, and feel free to correct me, but we just watched it, and at least one dog, you know, getting away. But I, I think there's two. As bleak as Carpenter movies can be, um, I'm going with neither one of them are the thing. They both freeze to death. However, eventually a crew comes to investigate. This is my own head cannon. Okay, this is like fanboy moment. Um, this is my thoughts for a sequel. Another character who is replicated... Um, is frozen in place. I'm trying to think how I, my line of thinking here. What what was I saying to you when we were discussing the episode? You know, that's the, this other person is the replicants frozen in place. Um, that's how the thing makes it. You know, on board a boat, spreads it, eventually takes over the world. Um, I'm thinking about other Carpenter movies like Escape from New York. Okay, I'm thinking of Prince of Darkness. I don't see a good outcome for humanity in the universe where this thing lives that that's that's my take i think if you think of late 70s early 80s if you think about the cold war and recession and carpenter i mean i just think hit bleakness that that was the thing back then and that was carpenter's you know take i mean you can even look at how christine ended yeah i mean yeah yeah the the one friend and the and the girlfriend they survive but it's a it's a sad ending. I mean, you know, Cunningham still dies. He doesn't get out alive. How many horror movies do you know that have a happy ending? How many? I mean, by default, there can't be a happy ending because they just went through absolute hell at best and probably lost at least a fr- a friend and or family member. But uh, yeah. There's got to be an episode about Carpenter and dogs in his movies because I'm thinking about the dog that – what is it? A German shepherd that runs up to Michael Myers and I think they had to like reverse the shot, rewind Mm -hmm. the shot to make it look like he was like crushing the dogs and a dog, not multiple dogs. The two dogs from the thing escaped and made their way to Haddonfield. (laughs) You Um, never know. (laughs) So really, folks, that's all we have for the thing right now. You know, this is going to be intermission time. We're going to take a break, you know, before we hit up our next segment. You know, thank you so much for sticking with us, putting up with us during our first episode. We are rookies at this. We were a little bit mad that our sound panels didn't come in time. So if you hear an echo, I apologize. We're going to try to fix that over time. Um, I'm just going to – a brief word on Dying for Midnight content. Um, our main hub of distribution for these shorter free episodes is the RSS community. Um, you can hear us and our horror movie reviews for free, you know, we're going to get them out there. 
the goal is Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Radio, iHeartRadio, Fabio's, iHeartRadio. You can find our first segment on YouTube as well. Um, we've got our full extended episodes with Apple Podcasts, or you can find us and help support Dying for Midnight on Patreon. Whichever you prefer, this is our passion. You decide to join our Dying for Midnight community. We've got three supporter tiers over there at Patreon. Become a goblin, howler, monster hunter. You know, check it out. Message us. Reach out to us on, on any of the mediums. Um, you know, we'll be over there with some unique bonus content and uh, community interaction. I mean, we, we want to connect with everybody. That's our number one goal. Um, you know, again, that opening music by Carl Casey, you know, he's got a whole treasure trove of horror synth tracks. Um, we actually had a hard time picking which one we wanted. I was getting really annoyed at you because I really was being lazy, <laughs> admittedly lazy, and I wanted you to get up and get me a coffee, and you wouldn't stop forcing me to go through Carl Casey's White Bat Audio Library. And Carl Casey, thank you again. Really, guys, just I'm going to circle this back around to what comfiness means and being a horror fan. And Joe Bob talks about this a lot, too. Um, whoever you are, whoever you're with, if you're by yourself, whatever you're doing, know that you can come chill out with us. I mean, don't get too relaxed in your car or during a helicopter ride in the Antarctic. Stay frosty. And you know what we mean. I mean, in, in the words of the glorious Michael Bean, sort of, you know, DFM. We've traveled across time for you, listener. We, we love you. We, we always have, just the way you are. There's some Billy Joel fills in there somewhere. Carrie, what else do you want to say to viewers? Thank you for listening, and we appreciate uh, you coming here and listening to us to just chat and talk, and that's pretty much what we have in mind. Carrie and I always say to other horror fans that we meet um, or don't meet, you know, we don't know you. But we love you. Thank you. It's time to stretch and fetch. See what's cooking at our refreshment counter. You'll find your favorite foods and beverages, plus many new goodies to tempt your appetite and add to your evening's pleasure. Everything's the finest quality. So treat yourself now. Sorry, sir. This is a private mountain. But I only wanted it. This mountain is reserved for patrons of drive-in theaters. But, 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 but It's I... a supply depot for all sorts of good things, which people can get at the snack bar. Like soft drinks, hot dogs, good hot coffee, candy bars of all kinds, delicious popcorn, and refreshing ice cream treats. But I am a patron of this drive-in. Well, why didn't you say so? Be our guest. Yes, sir. And three of those, and one of those, and five bars of these, and a cup of that nice hot liquid. Uh, coffee. Uh, coming right up. Oh, and two bags.
because of those peculiar white fluffy material. Uh, you mean our crunchy popcorn. Uh, uh, shall I wrap that for you, sir? Oh, that's all right. My saucer's just outside. <laughs> they come from miles to enjoy our intermission.